Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Well, in the end of our um, gospel lesson, when we saw Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, we saw that after the cloud came and God spoke to them, and after all of that disappeared, Moses and Elijah disappeared, it says that Jesus was there alone. And I think that's a good introduction to what we're doing in Romans right now. Uh, that in Romans, um, Paul is systematically taking away every single thing that people might put their confidence in apart from Jesus alone. And so let's open up today uh, looking into Romans chapter 2. We're actually going to catch the end of chapter 2 and push into chapter 3 as well, starting in verse 25 of chapter 2. So our text for today. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And then he who physically uns- is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Speaking in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So far, God's word. Now, there's a, a concept that's in here, circumcision, that I think, I don't know, we probably don't talk about very much. And yeah, we're going to talk about it today. <laughs> but have you ever wondered, you know, we, we're looking at Romans, and when we pick up a Bible, two-thirds of the Bible is this Old Testament stuff, right? Now, have you ever wondered, like, why is that in there? What is the point of the whole Old Testament? Well, when we come to passages like this, we really have to understand the Old Testament to make any sense of it, don't we? And so today, uh, we're going to take a look at the the covenant of circumcision. It's the covenant uh, that Jesus fulfills and upholds. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit with with your patience. We're going to go through some of that Old Testament history, and that'll really set the stage for us to understand the rest of this letter 
as Paul is trying to win over the Jewish population uh, for Christ and to unite them uh, with the Gentiles as well. And so let's look together at this and we're going to kind of dive back into the Old Testament a little bit and kind of take five points to think through this. So the first point is what is circumcision? Circumcision was a sign of God's everlasting covenant to Abraham and his descendants. So a covenant is an agreement, right? It's an agreement between two parties, a binding agreement. And God had made uh, this covenant with Abraham. So what is that? All the way back in Genesis 17, after God called Abraham, uh, he gives him this covenant. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring. And so if you have your journal, I would just write somewhere in the margin, uh, Genesis 17. You need to know where this, this idea comes from, Genesis 17. But there's two, two sides of this promise from God. God is saying, uh, in this covenant that I'm going to make with you, Abraham, uh, it means that I will bring kings from you, I will multiply you greatly, and kings will come from your family, and I will always be your God, right? I will always be with you and to be your God and the God of your descendants. So it's an everlasting covenant. Well, what is Abraham's part? This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so we have this sign given to Abraham in his flesh, right? Circumcision is uh, taking off a portion of the male reproductive organ, right? Uh, A sign given in the flesh that's really a promise. It's painful promise, right? And you might wonder why why would God give that that particular sign? And and there's some ideas about that. One is that uh, our brokenness comes in our nature, our sin, our brokenness is passed down from generation to generation, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a genetic disease, right? It comes from families, from fathers to sons and to daughters, right? No one gets away from it. So before anything happens, before we choose to do anything with our hands, before we choose to speak anything with our tongues, uh, we are created, we are brought into this world, right, through our parents, through our fathers, through reproduction. And so this mark is kind of a reminder of that, that sin comes through our very nature, it comes through our very being, that no one escapes this, that it's passed down. And so it might be that for this reason that God gave this mark to Abraham in his flesh, to remind him of this corruption, but also to remind him that through his children, through his offspring would come this promise. Kings would come through this promise. And so for the Jewish people, this was a, a great mark of pride, right? It was, a, it was a mark that I have been chosen by God, right? I belong to him and that through my family somewhere, there's going to be kings, right? And there's going to be uh, one that would bless all nations. And so this was a mark of pride for the Jewish people. And at the time of uh, the writing of Romans, Uh, Many Jews were being persecuted and and the practice of circumcision was being outlawed. And yet some Jews were insistent, we're going to do this anyway, right? We're going to 
continued with this mark of God on our flesh. And so that made them kind of prideful about it. They say, look, it cost me something, <laughs> right? It hurt. I did it. There's a risk to do this. And so this is going to be kind of my boast before God and before man. I belong to God. And so Paul is kind of challenging this idea that circumcision is going to be enough for them. He's pushing into this a little bit more. And so circumcision is this irreversible act, right? It can't be removed. It can't be undone, correct? You can't undo that one. And through it, God had pledged himself to every member of God's family, every member of Abraham's family, males and females, Everyone who was under the household of the male was blessed and a part of this covenant, and they received it on the eighth day. But it also had other implications as well. And so uh, it also had the implication that the Jewish person was under the obligation of God and his law. And so we're going to look at that a little bit too. Circumcision called the Jewish people to love God and to obey him with all their hearts. So that's the second point. Uh, it put a claim on their lives and on the way that they walked. And so we see this most clearly at Sinai. So after uh, the people of God, Abraham's descendant, did indeed become a great nation, they eventually went into Egypt. They were enslaved for many hundreds of years, enslaved there. And then God brought them out through the Exodus. Uh, and then after that, he uh, gave him his Ten Commandments, right? And you might know the story that immediately after those Ten Commandments were given to Moses, what were the people doing? But they were worshiping a God that they made for them, themselves. Even after seeing everything that God did, they made this golden calf and they worshiped it and they joined in the ethics of the pagans that God was calling them out of. And so after 40 years of wandering in the desert because of that great sin, they were just about to go back into the promised land. And Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, gives his final sermon to them. He's trying to convince them and, and win them over to live before God in righteousness. And he reminds them about uh, the covenant of the law and also this idea of circumcision. So let's see where it shows up. This is just before they go into the promised land. Moses says, Behold... To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. This is referencing circumcision. It's referencing God choosing Abraham for his purposes. And so he's saying, look how great this God is and how amazing it is that God loved your forefathers. You above all peoples as you are this day. You're loved. And then he says this, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And so he's reminding them that, yeah, circumcision, outward circumcision is one thing, but he's encouraging them to go further. Right, Go into your heart and turn your heart towards God. This is what he's been after all the time. Right? And so we see this. Uh, and so if we look in verse 25, we can kind of understand a little bit what Paul is picking up on. Verse 25, he says, Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. 
right? Same thing that Moses is talking about. Circumcise your hearts and don't be stubborn and obey the law of God who is a good God who has called you. If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision, right? And if we go down to 28, he really zeroes in on his point. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. He's literally talking about circumcision. Um, But rather, uh, a Jew is one inwardly in verse 29. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. So if you have a pen, if you have your journal, underline that. Verse 29 is really the key here. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter. And so he's talking about circumcision, but he says that circumcision was meant to affect our hearts. And how does that circumcision uh, happen to our hearts? It happens, and if you want to underline this in particular, by the Spirit. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is arguing against using circumcision as a license to break God's law and reject faith from the heart. And this was an ongoing struggle in the New Testament. A lot of the New Testament's written about this, that the Jewish population was not so sure that they should give up circumcision and not so sure that the Gentiles coming into the people of God should give up circumcision either. And so if you're an adult male and you want to believe in Jesus, uh, the Jewish population is saying, well, that's great, come in, you got to be circumcised first. Is that a deal breaker for anyone in here? It's tremendously difficult uh, to come in. It's just like, what does that even mean? And so Paul is saying, if you're bragging about this circumcision, this outward mark in the Lord, but your heart is not turned towards him, or you're using this marker, this covenant from God to say, oh, I'm God's favorite and I can sin with immunity, or you're looking at your circumcision and you're saying, because of this circumcision, uh, we can kind of walk however we want, Right? And God's never going to abandon us. And I don't have to listen about this revelation about Jesus because I'm good, I'm secure. Paul is saying that's condemnation. Right? That's another thing you would trust in apart from Jesus that would ultimately lead you away from the living God. And so he says that the true person who is in God's kingdom, the true Jewish person, the person of God's choosing is one who has a heart that is circumcised before him, that is changed, that is cut deeply, and the heart is turned towards the Lord. And so a great question would be, how does that happen, right? How do we obtain this circumcision of the heart by the Spirit? Where does that come from? If you were listening to this letter from Paul, you would want to know that immediately. Say, well, finish your thought. How do we obtain this circumcision uh, from the heart? And we're going to dig a little bit to understand this as well. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, there was all kinds of prophecies about this. It became clear that the people that God had chosen were not going to keep their covenant with him. That the people that God had chosen and put the mark of circumcision, the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they were not going to follow his laws, that they were not going to turn their hearts to him on their own, that they were gonna fail in their covenant. And so there began to be these prophecies about God fixing that. So not only was God going to uphold his end of the bargain, 
But he's also going to fix their problem and why they couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. He begins to talk about um, giving them a new heart, right, if the heart is the problem. So one place uh, the prophets speak of this is Ezekiel 36, and you can write that reference down too, where he says, and I will give you a new heart. Well, that's what they need, right? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so the people of Israel were kind of known as stubborn-hearted people, right? People who don't have circumcised hearts, uh, who always reject the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord. And, and so God says, there's going to come a day where I do heart surgery on you, and I'm going to take your, your heart of stone, and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh, and I'm going to fill you with my spirit, there's another passage in Joel 2, and it says this, and it shall come to pass afterward that, afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, even on the, uh, the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so there's these prophecies coming along that God is going to fix the, the hearts of the people, and he's going to do that by pouring out his spirit. Now, what's interesting is this is the exact quotation that St. Peter uses on the day of Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God is poured out. You remember? And they're all having, uh, they're speaking in tongues and there's things like flames on their heads and they go out and they begin proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus for sinners. And this is what Peter says. He says, God has poured out his Spirit and that's what you're seeing here today. That you can obtain this Spirit by baptism. He goes on to preach to them. That forgiveness of sins and, and the filling of the Holy Spirit is available to, to them in baptism. And so really what uh, Paul is saying here, back to verse 29, when he says um, that circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter, he's saying that that time has come, that these prophecies have been fulfilled when God would change the hearts of his people and fill them with his spirit and circumcise their hearts and bring them truly into his covenant people. That day has come through the spirit. It gets even better for us as we have the promise of baptism and we see how it interacts with our lives. Um, well, circumcision of the heart happens through the Holy Spirit who gives faith, and we see that in the New Testament. This is what Titus chapter 3 says, and I'll ask you to um, read the highlighted part with me. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We see this spirit being poured out upon us through Jesus. And furthermore, in Colossians, uh, Paul explicitly connects uh, circumcision of the heart with baptism into Jesus. So again, read with me uh, the highlighted text. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
And so what's going on here? Uh, Paul is saying, don't you see? Circumcision, the whole point of circumcision was to point forward to this Jesus Christ. All the point of, of taking off that part of the flesh all the way down the line was all the way towards Jesus, right? Jesus is the reason for that promise, and God has upheld his end of the bargain, right? In the covenant, he says, uh, from you kings will come, right? In your flesh, kings will come, and I will be the God of your descendants. That happens through Jesus, in Jesus, the flesh was cut. In Jesus, he was crucified for our sins. In Jesus, he became the one who was cut off from his people. Right? In Jesus, we have the true circumcision, the circumcision that's made without hands, that's made in the heart. As Jesus pours out his spirit into the world and into us by our baptisms, it cuts our hearts. It gives us a new appreciation for God. We no longer slave under God's laws, but instead we willingly do God's laws, right? Because he has changed our hearts through Christ Jesus. And what St. Paul is saying, if, if you're uh, looking at your circumcision, if you're looking at that as a way to get away from God, to usurp his authority in your life, to sin with immunity, Right? or to ignore the Christ that circumcision points to, uh, that's what he's arguing against. He's saying it's not going to work. It's not going to make it. It's like trying to take a train across the ocean. It's just not going to make it. What you need is an airplane. <laughs> so what does that have to do with us today? How can we bring this into our lives? Um, here's what I'd like you to think through. How does baptism is the sign of circumcision for us now. It's, it's greater than that because it's in Christ. But baptism, like circumcision, is not an excuse to sin with immunity, but an irreversible mark of God choosing us and a daily call to walk before him in faith and righteousness. Functions in a pretty similar way. It's greater, it's the fulfillment, but it functions in the same way. And so we can look at this and we can say, there's a possibility that we could fall into the same trap that these people were falling into that Paul was arguing against. We can use our circumcisions, our baptisms, we can use that to try to sin with immunity. Many people do this. We can say, I'm baptized, I don't have to listen to God's word. Or I'm baptized, I'm a Christian, God's not gonna judge me, right? I'm baptized, so it doesn't really matter anymore. And the warning here is that is a false use of our baptisms. I'm always amazed when I teach uh, beginning-level Christianity. I teach about baptism. In Luther's small catechism, it says, what does baptism do? What's the benefit? It saves us from death, from sin, and from hell. and gives us everlasting life for all who believe this for all who believe this. In other words, baptism without faith in the heart does not save. Baptism creates faith by the word. It creates the promise. It says, believe this. See this mark upon you. See this promise. Trust it and it's yours. 
But if we slam the door in our hearts and we don't have faith in that promise, it cannot save us. We can't use it as a magic trick against God, as a magical incantation to try to get one over on him. God is not mocked. He's completely fair. Along with baptism comes this incredible promise that he has saved us in Jesus Christ. He has turned our hearts away from death and towards life. We can abuse that by saying, oh, now that I have that, I can do whatever I want. And St. Paul's saying, don't do that, right? Instead, clothe yourselves in your baptism. Daily die to the sinner within you. Daily rise with Christ. This is the meaning of baptism, that you would walk before him in righteousness, turning away from your sins and trusting more and more and more in the mercy of Jesus, Uh, St. Paul is worried that these people were going to trust uh, in the flesh, in the mark of circumcision upon them, and they were going to use that to justify all kinds of sin and walking away. Similarly, we should have that caution in our hearts too. We should say, we should never look at the grace of God and say, oh good, now I can do whatever I want. Instead, We should look at the promises of God. We should look at the marker of his grace upon us. And that should lead us to greater and greater trust in him. To greater and greater love of his word and his law. To let that circumcise our hearts. So that our hearts might belong to him. Both now and forever. And so as we continue to go through this beautiful gospel that we see in Romans. May our hearts be pierced and turn towards the Lord. And may the Spirit fill us so that we can love his words and trust in him more and more. Amen.